I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio vs. the Martians. This month's single-serving selection, Shiver, by Junji Ito. Casey, I I think I need to issue an apology for what I have probably done to your brain this month. <laughs> I'm waiting for the memory to fade, Mike. It it never does fully <laughs> fade. It it never fades. It's like the eye of Sauron. You can defeat it for a while, but it will take form and find you again. <laughs> so of course, this month we are talking about the short story collection Shiver by manga legend and Haunter of your nightmares, Junji Ito. This collection was originally released in 2015 with short stories that were originally published between 1990 and 2003 by, of course, the man with the wrongest brain in the entire world, (laughs) Junji Ito, who you know from uh, such manga classics as Uzumaki, Tomie, Gyo, and Junji Ito's Cat Diary, and hundreds of more nightmares that he is going to inflict on you and probably a lot of memes as well. So to join us to talk about this collection is our good friend of the show and big fan of some really disturbing imagery, Kirby Green. Kirby, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> so Kirby, you've you've been a fan of Junji Ito for a while, and you have like a glee about Junji Ito. Oh, yeah. I love his artwork. I love his, like, the way that he takes a concept and just kind of ramps it up to be terrifying is great um we'll get into it more but one specifically i was like hmm you got that from a caterpillar okay (laughs) (laughs) but yeah he will extrapolate the simplest thing into the most absurd fucked up shit and go into this just oh so we are talking about shiver this short story collection um I know this is almost an impossible thing to do with a short story collection in terms of this question but if you had to synopsize at a 10,000 foot level what is shiver all about (laughs) oh i mean that is a tough one for this one i think junji ito as a whole though and what kind of gravitated me towards him at first was just i felt like a lot of his stories kind of touch on a horror that's inside of people Mm -hmm. like it's a lot of like obsessive behavior and like compulsion that i personally had never really seen or experienced before in like horror works and so i think that that does happen in this of course there's like other stories that kind of don't touch on that stuff they're kind of more monster of the week sort of stuff but i think to not answer your question junji ito as a whole is um like just has a obsessive sort of like terrifying human nature to it and um yeah that's that's shown in this <laughs> this yeah. thing <laughs> so i had originally seen him because of uzumaki um our friend uh, kit deforge um our, our other friend paul rue both recommended uzumaki to me independently and i mostly knew him as a writer of longer manga works i mean those ones are bigger volumes i mean uzumaki is a big thick volume mm-hmm. uh tomie is a big thick volume gyo is pretty big but I've really learned that most of his stuff is short works, these short stories that are anywhere between like 10 and 50 pages. 
and he gets in, gets out, and he melts your brain in between. So I, I'm, I had that's a I don't know I didn't research Uzumaki too much and or or these specifically. I know that this is this is like a nine volume collection over like fifteen years, as you said. These must be published in like teenage manga collections, right? Yeah. Because for almost almost all of them, the protagonists are like kids or teenagers or young adults, and they're like not. It's there's not they're not overly sexual. They're scary and violent. But I think the target audience for these must be teenagers. However, the the fucking scares, the things that are nightmarish about it, are totally universal. You don't have to be a Japanese teenager to see why they're fucking terrifying. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that makes it sort of universal is that Junji Ito's stuff almost explicitly goes out of its way to not be tied to a time and place. It, I mean, it's obviously Japan, mm-hmm. but yeah. very rarely does he ever say the name of the city. Sometimes he'll literally say a certain city. It's like in a euphemistic sort of way, like, you know, you know who I'm talking about, you know, those people. <laughs> They've got <laughs> monsters in their fucking town. But um, there is this... This quality, I think, that makes it universal for me, which is that when you read the commentaries after each of these nine stories, there is a couple through lines. One of them is childhood memories, and the other one is dreams. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what makes it really stick in there, because for childhood memories, you think, when I was like eight or nine years old, you always had that one house in your parents' neighborhood where the neighbor never came outside. You didn't know who they were. You just maybe you saw them take out their trash, but somehow that made them more mysterious, them doing some mundane task or driving. But they'd go inside their house. Their curtains would always be drawn. One, it's none of your fucking business, but (laughs) you don't know who they are. They don't talk to anybody. And there's also weird realization. I'm probably that person (laughs) for for people. But um, when you're a kid, your imagination goes wild and you start making up stories about who that person really is and why they're hiding in their house. And it's always nefarious. It's always horrific. And you get into these kind of Boo Radley sort of extrapolations where obviously this person killed their family. Obviously they're hiding in the attic. Obviously this is a cannibal who ate their children. <laughs> they're like taking out the trash. They're like, it's a body. Yes. Like, you know? Yeah, it's it's like the old man in Home Alone is yeah. another version of that where we, we make up these kinds of stories. And what I think Junji Ito does is draw on that. And we have this sort of little little vestigial nub of reminding ourselves of being a kid, that little memory of it. And he takes that memory and says, you're completely right. Yeah. That is some <laughs> fucked up secret inside that house. You have no fucking clue. Or he just takes a, just a very simple fear and then goes... Okay, you're th- this is going to be an object that you're obsessed with and how once you possess this item, the whole world is different. Everyone sees you differently. Right. You're not happy once you have it. You're constantly playing King of the Hill with this object. In one of the stories, it's, an, it's a record mm-hmm. um, that you have. One of these stories, it's a jade idol that you're obsessed with. And in one of these stories, it's a woman. It's almost like a Garden of Eden thing where you eat the ap- the forbidden apple or whatever. In this, And always in these stories, there's something that breaks. There's something that one, of the, one or more of the characters is like, okay, now that I've taken a bite of this apple everything's loosed like the universe is totally different you can't repair it and it's horrifying and you're probably doomed (laughs) yes you can run from it you can try to change it uh but it won't work 
Yeah. This is the part that I think he draws very heavily from H.P. Lovecraft, which is yeah. there's this pervasive sense of dread in his stories that it isn't just that you come across something that seems like good fortune at first. You're warned against it, but you go, no, I can use this thing. This is profitable. Oh, my God, this woman is an amazing muse. I'm going to make my greatest art ever. But you're already ruined by it. You just don't know it yet. And then once you realize that what you have is something that's cursed. It's too late. And all you can do is play it out. There is no saving yourself. You are going towards madness or death or somewhere in between. And <laughs> there's nothing you can fucking do. And it's like the, the there's a story at the beginning. It's, it's called a used record. And that's yeah. the oldest one in here where it's about a used record that um, a young teenage girl listens to at her friend's house. And that record has this haunting like kind of acapella music on it and it seems to be recorded live because you can hear stuff moving in the background and you don't know what the fuck this is but it's like you hear it and you've already been changed mm -hmm. that you want to listen to nothing but this um that her friend is really cagey about where she got it she won't reveal what it is she won't let her record her own copy of it on tape and she steals it and to try to get it back, her friend tries to kill her and she beats her friend's head in with a rock in an alley <laughs> to keep this thinking, oh, no, she's fine. She's fine. That's why I'm throwing a tarp over her <laughs> thinking she'll be fine. I just have to get out of here. You know, I'll, I'll give it back later. And already she's in that same mindset of lying about how she got it. And right. what is this music? And anywhere she tries to go because she doesn't have a record player of her own. Someone else putting that record on at a store recognizes it. The record store guy goes, wait a minute. And he's saying, and you realize that her friend stole it from this record store. Mm -hmm. And this record store guy probably killed somebody else for it. Yeah. <laughs> and, yet, and it's like, I know this is cliche for me to, to make a Tolkien reference, but there is a lot of the Smeagol, Diggle, One Ring kind of trio in this mm -hmm. where you have this thing that you love, but you also hate because it's ruining your life, but everyone wants to take it from you. And you're willing to do awful things to hold on to it. And you just see it send this cascading wave of destruction out and it ruins everyone that it touches. It reminded me of like a Twilight Zone episode. Absolutely. I Except for it was Junji Ito'd. So, yeah. <laughs> so like, you know, there's straight up murder and stuff. But um, yeah, I feel like when I was reading it and they were showing, you know, the the lyrics on it, mm -hmm. in my head, I think I was playing like a song from the Twilight Zone because there's that sure. one about like the, tra I think it's like a traveler with a guitar. Yes. And yep. they had, that was like the song that was That's, playing that in my head. That is really interesting. <laughs> That's so interesting. They, the, uh, I guess the thing that I find totally fascinating is, and I just thought about this now is, um, you guys know that the, the thing that Ren and Stimpy did to American animation with those, the, like the grotesque close-ups, mm -hmm. yes. you know, there'd be like, you'd, buy, you'd see Ren and Stimpy doing something ridiculous. And then there would be this, crazy overly detailed disgusting close-up of something like painted yeah and, yeah. It, and it looks beautifully it, painted it looks just... different <laughs> it like is it makes you kind of like want to like glance away from it i feel like the if i'm if i'm describing some of like the the inserts that uh that junji ito does is sometimes he'll sort of let you see something from a distance that's horrible and then they'll just be either half page or a large panel that'll really be zoomed in on something and it'll that 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 is the thing that just sticks in your mind is that you've zoomed in on it. There's this insane detail and you can tell just like 
his whole thing in Uzumaki is a guy's eyes following the spiral. Like he said, mm-hmm. that was his thing for, for Uzumaki is following a spiral. Um, you can tell the way that well, he just has this haunting image and he just zooms in on it and he just keeps drawing it and keeps teasing it out until it's this totally hypnotic gravity well of this grotesque close-up. Yeah. And almost every single one of them, every single story has at least one of those. There's a descent into madness until you see the thing and there's no backing away from it. Yeah. This one. Oh, God. Yes. <laughs> the image we that Kirby just held up. We talk it, about that one. Yeah. I was oh. like, oh, jump around. Oh, you want to oh. go to that one? <laughs> yes, let's we, do it. We can uh, skip around. <laughs> that that story, um, Greased, Greased, which is the yeah. last story in this collection from 2003, is one of the most, if not the most disgusting things I have ever I read. I was not into it. <laughs> I didn't like it. I felt sick reading parts so I, of it. I had this crazy sense memory. I don't know if any of you guys have had this experience, is that if you've, you've gone out to a restaurant or something and you sat close to where the kitchen is. Yeah. And... Um, you know, sometimes you come back from a restaurant and you smell like the restaurant because you've just you've been in the air so much. My wife went to a a fancy smancy restaurant downtown and she was like, "Oh, it smelled so bad," and it got on my jacket. And she's like, "Smell this!" That was like the biggest. This is that was like the uzumaki thing. Is like I I'd stopped smelling it, but the smell was still in my brain. And it was like <laughs> it's like Edgar Allan Poe. This, yeah. this disgusting grease smell that you know that makes you do that. And even though I was like, "Oh, we're gonna wash this. We're gonna get it out of here." For days and days and days, I could <laughs> I, I I would gag when I was thinking about that. And that that is that that triggered me when I was grease because I'm just like, "Oh my god, it must smell so awful." In this that house. story has a smell. <laughs> it does. God. This has a smell and a greasy feeling, and you just feel like you need to take a shower with a pressure washer after <laughs> reading this. Just oh. this face with the oh. like. Oh my gosh, I wrote so I might say this wrong but uh tryptophobia yeah i was like that's what this is right here it's the fear of like holes we, we have we have to talk about the shiver or the the, the title sh- of oh that yeah because, that one yeah uh, i tried to start this and i and shiver is the second in the collection mm-hmm. and i think i do have mild tryptophobia if anyone it's the fear of little holes if you oh. just search for tryptophobia frog on google image search <laughs> oh, that's a bad one and it's like it, i it's i can't i like I, w- I did it last night and I was like, oh God, I can't, I can't. It's just the uh, how weird the brain reacts and it's probably a super primitive thing to diseased things, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's probably an aversion to things that are diseased. Yeah. Um, and he does this a lot in his story, especially the second one, Shiver, about people dying of having these huge holes and the the implication that sometimes there might be insects crawling in and out of the yeah, holes. Yes. Okay, so the curse in Shiver oh. is that there is there is a there is a jade idol that somebody took from another country. This is what we need to learn. If you are fucking in another country, especially you're some occupying military force, right. don't take shit. I, Just don't yeah. take shit. I really love. You don't that, understand. I really love that he he made the inclusion for Shiver to have the backstory be like. A guy in the Japanese army from World War II bringing something home. Took back stuff from some island that they right, occupy. Because he, like I said, he rarely ever has something that's explicitly Japanese, but I love the idea that he's created this longer than the character's history of this cursed object. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, it came out of the jungle and who knows how many people it fucked up there. It <laughs> looks like. You remember the the Omu from Nausicaa of the yeah. Valley of the Wind? Yeah. Like a little beetle. It yeah. looks like that. There's definitely a lot of Call of Cthulhu in this with the sort of cursed item. Or it lo- it's something grotesque. And it looks like a grub worm that's sort of curled up with these sort of little nodules going up its side. And it's sort of segmented. And 
if you possess this thing, the curse begins. Mm-hmm. Not slowly at first, but these little holes, these little circular holes form in your body. And then you see the point it gets to where somebody has so many holes all over. And inside of the holes, there are other holes just boring deeper and deeper into this person. (laughs) And you start, it's where the title of this collection comes from shiver that air is coming into those holes. And you were just so cold, right? You were so cold and you're shivering and shivering and insects have this compulsion to crawl <laughs> into those holes and make you itch and there's that's again this is what we're talking about is that he has this ability we said there's something evolutionary here yeah where there's some thing like you said maybe it's a fear of disease it's something else but there's something that goes back into the dawn of time that on some basic lizard brain level we are terrified of it and Junji Ito knows how to find those things and build stories around them oh yeah the thing about the shiver too is that um i don't know if this happens to you because you're both men but as a woman i'm very cold and cold-blooded and during the winter time there'll be times where it's like raining and i just feel so cold like to my bones and i was like this is probably worse than that (laughs) (laughs) plus there's bugs in you now plus there's bugs in me and i don't i mean and they're not not a fan other people might like it but they're not like regular bugs they look like they look like bugs from like if you know Godzilla is, bugs or something, right? Yeah, yeah. giant like, mutant wild. Yeah, what got what, you know what the Lovecraftian you know Cthulhu mythos is to fish. This is to <laughs> bugs. These are not bugs from Earth, and they look weird. They've got crazy multiple wings, and they're all just trying to get into your house because they're like, "There's a hole in there. I gotta crawl me inside of that hole." I, it just occurred to me now when I'm thinking about a lot of these stories how they. They don't usually start off, usually the first couple pages, three or four pages, you don't normally see something terrifying on it. No. But um, you're almost always starting off, like I said, with like teenagers or something, and the panels, as they start off, are usually like pretty flat, pretty bland. They're like walking down a street, or they're sitting in places, and seems pretty static. And it's so funny that it's just, it's like the record scratch, that at a certain point in time, the sort of visual motif of the story just plunges directly into the abyss, and you're like, okay, well, it's never going to be normal again. (laughs) Never. But that's the thing, is there is this point of no return, where the place to, the place that you could have stopped is in the first panel of the story, Mm -hmm. that you were already doomed, and it's too late. Occasionally, there's that character with the, the sunken, darkened eyes, who tries to tell you that that way lies madness, like the guy at the beginning of a Friday the 13th movie who's <laughs> telling you not to go to you know Camp Crystal Lake don't go there that place is death and they never listen like ha, ha, I can profit by this thing this is clearly this is going to be my new artistic venture and it always goes badly and then there is no escape and again that's the thing with Lovecraft and I think you get from Junji Ito all the things you get from Lovecraft with all the, without all of the racist baggage right <laughs> <laughs> and but honestly, it's a it's an existential dread. It's a sense yeah. that there is no going back, there is no winning, there is no cure. Mm-hmm. There is nothing you can do to save anybody. All you can do is try to run away and scream and cry until it finally gets you, or you break <laughs> and you surrender yourself right, to it. Right, you become yeah. it. Uh, we, we, should, we should follow through with Greased because apart oh, okay. from having that, that intro where it's like there's a there are a couple kids that live in this is like a like a teriyaki shop or something. It's like yeah. a it's a barbecue place, right? Yeah. And and it's constantly covered in grease. And their it's dad 
doesn't Poor ventilation. Yeah, doesn't want to really want to clean it, and the the grease has over decades has permeated their entire house that lives above the restaurant, and so that you know they have the things like oh, it's permeated into the towels and into the mattresses and into your clothes, and you can never get it out, and so you're constantly seeing. And actually, he did something really interesting that's different from the rest of them. Is it looks like he just took charcoal over each frames when they're inside the house yeah. and just yeah. dirties up every frame to give you the sense of just like, oh, it's disgusting. It's, it's like they talk about was it the oil oil index fifty percent. Yeah, we're, they're trying. They're telling you, oh, you're walking through a room and you're realizing that half of the what's in the air is oil that you're breathing in. It's like a grease sauna. Yeah. It's so <laughs> just you can feel it seep into your body. So they live above this restaurant that is dripping where they show um they show the main character, Risa, touch the wall of this apartment above the restaurant. And it pulls these strings of goo off as she touches it. This humans cannot live this way. <laughs> humans cannot live this way. And and it actually touched upon a memory I haven't thought about in a very long time, which is uh, when I was about 13, 14, 15, my mom's aunt died and she was a heavy smoker and oh. we had to clean out her house and the cigarette smell was everywhere. It was in the wall. So you could sort of, lean your hand slightly against the wall and it would sink just a little bit. They're talking about a a woman who had smoked for decades and decades. And we were like, is there anything in the house we can sort of salvage and stuff? And uh, my mom went into the freezer, you know, the freezer, the big freezer. And it went into the back of it and there was a bunch of pies in there that looked like they were still good. And we're like, oh my God, there's some stuff in here. It's still good. The the fucking pies smelt like cigarettes. <laughs> oh my God. So that that image of something seeping into a house that you know just buy the fucking ventilation, dude. Um, to, there's no living like that. And I think Jinji Ito said this came from when he was, and of course he's a fucking former dental assistant because that's exactly <laughs> the teeth. Oh so God. Um, Oh my God, that does make sense. The way he draws teeth yeah. are so disturbing. <laughs> Too many teeth for your head. It feels like you're a like a one of those snakes that has to dislocate its yes, jaw, it's like yes. unhinged. <laughs> and he he said that while going to dental school, the dental school that he was a part of was also part of this like Buddhist group. So there was part of it where he was staying at a temple, and at night they had to sleep on these futons cushions that had never been aired out and had been in there and he says there was these brown stains on it and it was just harrowing and he says that the image in his brain of that brown stain is the place from which this story came <laughs> so that's the thing I was just thinking that's what I love is that it's clear I mean it's definitely great if you can read his commentary because then he's sort of shedding light on where yeah. he's getting it from but you get the sense that the one thing he's not doing is he's not sort of synthesizing a pastiche of horror novels or horror movies or horror stories right he's not just i'm not he's not just recombining things he's taking something very protean and personal and making it very specific yeah. incredibly mm-hmm. specific and incredibly effective but it doesn't seem like he's like oh he's ripping off john carpenter here or something mm-hmm. he doesn't yeah. doesn't seem that at all it seems totally singular his influences you can sort of see it from like giallo horror and lovecraft is more about tone and format and sure. the feel rather than what he's doing. It's the specificity. That's not a real word. <laughs> Stop that. Reverse it. But it's a, I'm not even going to attempt it again. But it's it's the specific nature of of what he's doing that that makes it work, which is it's like 
your neighbor's a weirdo, or there's this new record I'm obsessed with, or, um, you know, just something as simple as, you know, insects. Insects are fucking creepy. You know, grease is fucking gross. And in this mm-hmm. case, the the brother of Risa is, I think his name is Goro, uh, <laughs> is like shotgunning bottles of salad oil when he thinks it's nobody is looking. Just drinking oil and being surrounded by oil and being covered in oil. He is constantly. like the stone cold Steve Austin <laughs> of salad oil. <laughs> and he is just shotgunning this shit. And... As a result, once he hits puberty, he starts getting acne, and it's bad, and he's mocked for it, and he's bullied for it. You see him get kicked around, and he internalizes that and takes it out on his family, especially his sister. Yeah. And it uh, it leads to, in my mind, the, I don't I don't know if, if, Kirby, you want to explain the panel you yeah, held up do. before? Yeah, oh. please do. But it is probably oh. the worst thing. It's not great. It- so <laughs> it's, it's not great. It's, it's traumatizingly gross. It's, it's very gross. So he's got all of this like acne and like you know just blemishes and stuff. I'm trying to get to it. Oh. Uh, there it is. Um, and he's like holding her down. And you know, in was it Animal House where, uh, you know, in Animal House when um John Belushi is like, hey, what's this? And he puts the stuff in him, and they. <laughs> It's like that, but his entire face is just pus coming out and hitting her in her face. And there's nothing she can do. In in curls, too. Like it's dripping down and curling on her, like 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 glue or something. Every zit is popped at once and these long, it's like toothpaste tubes. Yeah. Long, stringy pus (laughs) dripping down. It's like he's squeezing his whole face like one giant zit. (laughs) And she's being held down until finally... Uh, their father rescues them by killing him. Oh, <laughs> and then it turns into Sweeney Todd. <laughs> right. It is, right. It's like it it's like if this isn't disgusting enough, well, fuck it. We're gonna do cannibalism, folks. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody likes it. That's yeah. the thing. It's like, oh, that what would that that really fatty meat? Where'd that come from? Do they have any more of that? And then you see him start to go, hmm, trying to get his daughter to <laughs> start eating it. I got to recreate this meat. And it ends, I'm not going to spoil it, in one of the most, well, let's fucking spoil it. I yeah. mean, we're all here. Right. It's the most disgusting fucking image that is in this thing where he's desperate. Now he's got his own obsession, which is I need to create this meat that everyone loves. And what is the reputation of his restaurant? I think you see two potential patrons walk by going, that place is gross. Mm-hmm. That that meat is gross. No, wait. I've heard that the meat they've had lately is amazing and super fatty. And you realize that's it's fucking Goro. <laughs> yeah. And, yes. and the guy is just like, I'm all out of that meat that everyone loves. I need to get more of this meat. And the dad starts feeding himself to people. <laughs> and he's like, he's chopped off his leg. And he's not even bleeding anymore. He's just dripping yeah. grease. Yeah, yeah, very reminiscent of the entire house. Now the people are dripping the Ugh. grease. <laughs> Ugh. This is... <laughs> I... Uh, that's what I mean. This is, again, this is the high watermark for the most disgusting thing I have read from him. And I don't know if he's ever going to top this. And I I, I know he's going to hear that as some kind of a challenge. And he <laughs> sure. will beat that challenge. I know that. But... Jesus Christ, this story. Yeah. 
So, uh, so the next one, if we're following fashion model, is kind of I think is ends up being the weakest out of all of the oh, weakest out of all of them. But legit, my sticky note says weak. Right. <laughs> um, however, you if you if you could just still down, you know, with the, with the, with all of his things, it's there's kind of like a single terrifying image that you can save as being like representative of this story. So if if it's Uzumaki, it's the girl with the eye, you know, the spiral yeah. going into her head, or um, if it's uh, Greece, it's the one we were just talking about, and in this, it's the just this this the first picture you have of a boy leafing through a fashion magazine and then seeing this elven like b- black eyed, crazily tall and thin fashion model that somehow just it sort of it, it sort of exists and it's okay that someone was like yeah we'll take pictures of this weird scary person monster lady yes, mm-hmm. this this monster person and. She'll be a fashion model, sure. I think that's what kind of did it for me. I was was like, this is just goofy. Like, the, she's so, like, out of place with everybody else, which, you know, she's supposed to be. But, like, her design and stuff, I was just kind of like, and everybody's okay with that. I was just like, eh. And then, like, to go on to the spoiler of her just, like, eating them in the woods, I was kind of like, eh. Yeah, when the the teeth come out, you're like, oh. But, no, I I think the best part really is the... When she has her line, when she says, I am the protagonist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, what the fuck story is this? So, this it's model, a- um, her name is Fuchi, is how to describe her? She's seven feet tall. She has no eyebrows. She has sunken, bloodshot eyes, um, these dark circles underneath, they're all sort of sunken in. She doesn't have sort of the forehead into nose separation that a lot of people have. It's like one swooping line down giving her sort of a flat face. And when she opens her mouth, she has rows of piranha teeth. (laughs) Like multiple rows of piranha teeth. Nobody has this many teeth. And it's a story with a non-twist. That's the thing is I kept expecting a twist. I kept expecting the revelation that she's actually going to be a really sweet person and that they're the monsters. I kept expecting the revelation that she's actually just a wonderful person and the sweet girl they Mm -hmm. bring her along because a bunch of filmmakers think, oh, she's got a crazy, unique look. We can put her in our movie. Mm -hmm. You keep expecting the cute, pretty young girl that they've brought along that she's going to be the psychopath or she's going to be the one that kills everybody and that maybe, you know, Fuji is a nice person. No, Fuji's just a monster who eats people. (laughs) There's no twist to it. Mm -hmm. And that's the part of it that's kind of weird. It's like he's subverting a subversion that you expect. And it is kind of weak. And it feels like this was probably just the simplest core of the story like he right. saw mm-hmm. a scary person once or had an image of a scary lady in his head and just wrote a quick story about it yeah i, I think in the addendum too there's it he has an unpublished version of basically the same story where you can see he's working out he worked out how, how the that the fuji character is supposed to look and kind of tried to tell a different story you could tell this is one of the things that tried to get off the ground a couple times mm-hmm. and in the form it got he was probably like this is the best i'm gonna make this story you know yeah gotta yeah. move on gotta gotta yeah. look at something else and get terrified <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's the thing is i think we should probably talk about what i think is the most iconic story and then the one that gets into my head the, the images which is hanging blimp hanging blimp is fucking weird and it is probably the closest to a italian giallo film It's probably the closest to an actual adaptation of nightmare logic that i've probably seen in almost anything oh yeah when i so um i actually there were a handful of stories i hadn't read because 
Joe was scared of Junji Ito, so I wasn't allowed to have the books in our house. Because <laughs> <laughs> he thought they were cursed, but when I was doing this, I was like, I'm buying them. So um, I read this like on my phone, like on Imager or something, because I was just going through like his short stories. And the first time I read this one, I legitimately had nightmares. Like yeah. it, um, it had a lot of triggers for me in it, and I wrote them down. Um, no. <laughs> so um, it has chasing. Which yes. is something for me. It has, um, you know, not being able to get away. And I think one of the things that I realized this time through that has is somebody outside the window waiting for you. Yeah. And yep. that I think was probably the big trigger for me, for me to like, you know, go to bed and continue thinking about it to <laughs> like generate, you know, something horrifying in my mind. Someone outside the window speaking in your own voice. Yeah. yeah. Telling, telling you. To, to, yeah. yeah. And then your oh. brother. Yeah. Who was missing for a while. You don't know if it's him or not. You don't. I thought that I kind of like about this is I think this story has the same element that a zombie apocalypse story has. Yeah. Which is that it's easy to imagine yourself in that scenario because literally the same thing happens to everyone in the world at once and you go, well, what would I do? Mm -hmm. What would I do in that situation? I think like the movie... Uh, us that uh, Jordan Peele did had this too. It's like, what would happen if you had to fight a monster version of yourself? Um, I would die. That's what would happen. (laughs) I mean, yeah, that's the thing about it is like, I was like, I can't survive this. What are we doing? It's just, it's the long, slow descent into madness and 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 letting it kill you. I love Mm -hmm. that that people just assume that they can, they can fight it. They'll be like, no, I'll be fine. I've got a, I've got a way to, to, I've got an umbrella. Yeah, I've got an umbrella. I've got something to do. Nope. (laughs) You can't get away from it. This story is about how one day a balloon doppelganger of seemingly everyone in the city, if not Earth, shows up. This giant floating balloon that looks like your head speaking with your voice. And at the bottom of the balloon is like a piano wire type metal cable in the shape of a noose. And that balloon and that noose wants to make your acquaintance <laughs> and starts grabbing up its human counterpart on Earth. And it just the balloon will float around with your corpse hanging from that, that rope. And we're all having a great time while it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> and the ways that people try to fight it and the ways that people try to avoid it. I think at one point, the the lead character and her friend are trapped in an alleyway after the balloons. They see them in the distance. There's these like lines. It's like when you see hot air balloons in real life. And you have no way of knowing how far away they are. You're like, what is that? What is that in the air? They're getting closer. Holy shit, those are heads. Holy shit, those are balloon heads. Holy shit, that's us. (laughs) (laughs) And then two of them swoop down and immediately yank two of the people. You just see their legs being pulled off a panel. Yeah, I think that there was also, before they like have that realization or like seeing that thing, I feel everyone thinks it's like a ghost because they are like seeing the first girl's head like floating around. And it reminded me, I think that there's like a Japanese, like, um, I don't know if like a demon or like spirit or something. There's that one that like, that's just a big head. That's just a big head. Yeah. Oh, is it just yes. a big head? I yeah. was thinking of like Drifloom from Pokemon where mm-hmm. it just like takes children that I've, are lost. I've seen pictures of like this, the, what it'd be like a floating zombie head. It's just like a very large decrepit, human-like head that is clearly like d- diseased or rotten or something so that this is one of those instances where i was like where i was like oh i think there actually is probably a little bit of sort of japanese symbology that he's playing with but it's also universal in the fact that it'd be like well every but the uh, a fucking giant head is terrifying yeah. <laughs> floating in the air is scary 
Yeah. It's also interesting, too, because, like, in this one, too, it seems like once they've, like, I don't know, realized their full selves by, like, you know, being captured by these heads, like, they have the same, like, wants that they had before. Like, oh, right, right. Because um, there's the love story that happens between that guy and the, like, first victim, Right, where she like goes and finds him and then he like submits and then the balloons make out, which is one of the best panels. <laughs> <laughs> but that's so so weird because it starts out with the apparent suicide of a teen pop star. Yeah. And she seems to have been hanged herself in the most weird way possible because she's hanged herself from a rope hanging from this like pipe that's sticking out of her apartment out the window so it's like if you were going to kill yourself that way you want everyone to see that you're dead Mm -hmm. but we sort of discover that that was the balloon trying to get her and the balloon tore its cable it was laying out outside the window. Yeah. Just doing that. <laughs> and that's the, the, they see this, they, oh my God, we see this this head everywhere. And they think that it's a vision of her ghost, but it's really her balloon head mm-hmm. as the first one to show up. And those those like fan club beats the shit out of her boyfriend. <laughs> I know. Thinking, it's like, okay, it, it's not healthy, guys. Mm-hmm. I, I just... It's that obsession, though. He's this is one of the few though. things where part of the part of the horror is mass hysteria. Yeah, um, yeah. Because uh, Uzumaki does this an awful lot, where uh, eventually it overcomes everyone, but usually it's happening to like one or two or three people. And in this one, it's just like, well, the world. This is the this is the end of the world. Like mm-hmm. this is where the balloon people take over. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just the TV is telling you to stay indoors. Yeah. And this is probably the place where Japan's um, toxic work culture comes into play. Oh yeah. Which is the protagonist dad is like you know i need some work to do i need to go into the office and they're like dad don't go outside there's a balloon that looks like you that is specifically trying to hang you well there's also i mean he said it came he said in the commentary this came from a dream that he had about being hung right it was like Mm something like some crazy childhood nightmare that he had there's also the other aspect of this that i was thinking about which is the the suicide culture in japan where they're so stressed they're they internalize all of this this terrible stuff and so there's this there's a sense of suicide culture, and what's more reminiscent of a suicide than a hanging noose? You know, yeah. the mm-hmm. noose hanging up that you're climbing a tree to get up to. You know, like so. There's, but also, I guess this, that that image is fairly universal. Yeah, that he's, yeah. he's obsessed universal. with going to work, and he says, well, "I can beat it. I know the way to do it. I'm just going to hold my arms up around my head like I'm giving myself a headlock, and it can't get around my neck, and it just rips around that and breaks his arms and twists him and yanks him away anyways and I'm just like what are you doing take a fucking sick day dude if there was ever a time but it does feel like there is some kind of metaphor for the sort of Japanese work culture that it's like yeah you're going to work yourself to death you are literally Mm going to go outside and risk that noose to get more work in and you know if there's ever a lesson to be learned about letting people work from home (laughs) it's definitely this but everyone thinks that they've solved the puzzle everyone thinks i know the thing you got to do and you watch it go wrong so many ways the brother runs out there with an umbrella and gets the umbrella tangled up in his own balloon noose and then you don't see that dude until the very end you're like you have no idea what happened to him did he beat it but it's tearing that balloon up he's making a run for it I don't oh, they, know if he made it. They also established that someone tries to uh, shoot one of the balloons, and killing, oh, yeah. killing the balloon kills the person. It makes them deflate like a balloon. Oh, yeah. God. The, the guy, I love that guy. He's just like, what's going on in my alley? What? Oh, and he pulls his head back into his apartment, pops out with a fucking crossbow, <laughs> <laughs> takes that balloon down, but then that girl's head just... Yeah. 
just like a balloon. It's yeah. crazy. It is. And then it's like there's no fighting it. You're just stuck inside your house mm-hmm. and you're starving and you don't know what'll happen. It's like, I, well, I can't kill my balloon. I can't kill other people's balloons. But then those other balloons aren't trying to get me. Yeah. It's like there's a monster just for you. <laughs> it was a hole just for you. It was made for me. It that that comes up a lot in Junji Ito works. There's the other yeah. story, I forget the name of it, but there's a story that he did in another collection that's about this is probably his most iconic story. Yeah. Where it's his most accessible. <laughs> there's a hole in the side of the mountain shaped specifically for each individual mm. person and you have mm-hmm. a compulsion to crawl inside of it. So the idea that there's this horrible fate that has been tailor-made for you and it's coming for you. It's going to wait outside your your apartment. It's going to wait outside your house and it's going to start asking, come on, come outside in your own voice. And just the sense at the end of, of her hearing her brother's voice that this thing is intelligent mm-hmm. and other balloons can help your balloon kill you. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, it's so fucking freaky. <laughs> oh my god. Um That's a good one though. Would recommend. I would I would definitely recommend. That's the one that I think is probably the story that sticks in my head the most. Mm-hmm. Because there is no explanation for these balloons. And there's never going to be an explanation. Yeah, which is another thing that I really appreciate about Junji Ito. Not to get too much into it, but like I feel like there's a lot of like in like horror movies and stuff now, there's a lot of feeling that you need to explain what's going on right and that just takes me out of it i'm like because then i start asking more and more questions like if you're going to tell me about this thing like us is one of those where i was just like okay but what about all this i'm not gonna get into it because i want to spoil it but like you know i was just like but what about and then and then you're like trying to explain to me what's going on but like just don't yeah you know if you answer my question it's going to lead to more questions and i'm just going to have more questions and sometimes like with Junji Ito, you just got to cut that shit off and go, no, I'm not answering your first question. Yeah. Was there you, are you, balloons coming for you. Right. It's just a weird fucking nightmare logic universe, and it's going to play out in a, you know, the way that it's going to play out. Some things are probably going to happen a little differently, but shit's going to get fucked up by the end. People are yeah. not going to escape. You never know why your mom was killed. You're never yeah. going to know why your mom was killed. All yeah. you know is that through trial and error and watching enough of your loved ones die, <laughs> you're going to figure God. out the basic rules of what's going on and try to use that to survive. But even that won't save you. Mm-hmm. Um, y- there are balloons outside. We can argue all day about where they came from, but that balloon outside still wants to hang me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's nothing I can do about it. And the fact that there is no explanation, this is, I guess, one of the things in like The Dark Knight, which made the Joker effective in that movie, is the refusal to give it lore. The refusal yeah. of mm-hmm. an origin story. Yeah. Of just saying, if he gives you a story, it's a lie. And it's just another lie. And in the end, you have no fucking clue who this guy is or why he's doing this stuff. And that makes it scarier. It's scarier when you don't know. And it's more fun if you never answer those questions. Especially in horror. Horror is more potent when you're denied the explanation. Right. Yeah. Right. And like when you hide like what is going on, like classic, it's Jaws, you know, like it became more scary because you didn't see the shark for most right. of it. So it just let your imagination run wild and, you know, what you can think of is more terrifying than what it actually is. It's also interesting if you, if you sort of, if you compare this to a movie or you compare this to sort of horror stories, like written stories, obviously the magic of the the written story is... There's not a pic- there's not a picture drawn to mm-hmm. show you what the ter- terrifying thing is. Whereas in a movie, like, right, they'll eventually show you this, the monster, and so hopefully in the context of the drama, what's happening to the characters, it'll remain scary. 
it is weird for horror comics because you can stare at that image for as long as you need to to get an understanding of what it is. And it's it's for Junji Ito, it's fascinating because you want to stare at it, but you don't want to stare at it. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's kind of, it's, I think that's incredible. It's something that, that in the medium, it was different than everything else and that he does extraordinarily well. Yeah, and it does feel like the images are looking back at you in a way. Because mm-hmm. it feels like it's getting into your head in some way that you are, in fact, being infected by this story. Because And this happened to me when I read Uzumaki for the first time, which is you don't know where you're going to be. You could be driving your car, mowing the lawn. You're just at work, filling out a spreadsheet, and then that image comes back. <laughs> <laughs> and you... You don't want to have to explain to your coworkers why you just cringed and why you just went, nah. Ah, I just, I feel, <laughs> I feel uncomfortable now. And I just kind of have to power through it because I'm not going to explain to my coworker <laughs> this whole thing. Um, but you just, it's, it'll sneak in there. For me, when Uzumaki, it was the snail people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that yeah. was rough. And in, in this one, a lot of it is the balloon stuff, it's the grease. Um, it's the the bit where he pops his face pimple. Oh, <laughs> um, but it really is. He sort of extrapolates that way. What else is like a pimple? A volcano. A right. volcano that, that sends torrents and 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 tidal waves. A tsunami of pus. <laughs> that is fucking awful. That Mount Fuji is a giant zit. Um, it's it's awful. I mean, and that's what it is. It sort of in a lot of ways it it harkens back to your imagination when you were a kid. Yeah. And when you were a kid, your brain would go to those places and you'd scare yourself with the stupidest shit that you that you incredibly manufactured in your head. And it didn't have to have internal consistency. And I think what a lot of these stories do, and they remind you of feeling like a kid who's scared of your neighbor's house, who won't trick or treat there because you think that they're an actual axe murderer lives in your neighborhood. And despite the fact that everyone knows it, nobody does anything. <laughs> that is such a child sort of point of view horror and i don't know anyone else who does it nearly as good as junji ito yeah I, can i can i talk about the my favorite of the collection Ooh, what is it long, is it mine? long dream yeah so the setup for this is there's a uh, characters at a mental institution they're at a, at a mental hospital or the me- mental wing of a hospital and there is a guy who, ca- who comes in who's having some sort of psychic dis- psychological disturbances and he is reporting that when he goes to dream his subjective dream time is very long. Like, as opposed to he's like, I thought I was dreaming and I was living for a month. And over the course of the story, that gets longer and longer and longer. And it starts to have not only a greater, like, psychological, psychologically damaging effect on the character, but starts to have a weird physiological change because, because, and there's, you know, it's told through a couple doctors who are kind Mm. of being like, what do we do here? We need to figure out if there's a way we can help this. And then at a certain point, they're like, well, we can't stop it. We just want to see where this goes. Yeah. Uh, And he starts turning into, like, metamorphizing into, like, a weird alien person. No, he's evolved. Yeah. He's evolved uh, yes. past, like, being a human. He's somewhere between a lizard and a mushroom. Yeah. <laughs> That's the, it's like his head is sort of this bulbous, like, like a, a classic, like, light bulb shape. His, I thought of the aliens from Mars Attacks. That's yeah. It yeah. Big, ve- big veiny, yeah. bulging head. With these sort of shifting plates, mm-hmm. almost like lizard scale-like plates. His arms are getting longer. His fingers are scaly and long. His eyes are now, they don't look like mammal eyes. They look like the sort of eyes where it's a sunken, simple, 
dot, but inside of it, it's like veins that create the illusion of a pupil rather than a pupil itself. Mm -hmm. And some nights it's like, I think he talks about he's cramming for a test in college for eight years and he doesn't know how long. He says, I was doing this and I just, every night was sleepless. Every night I was cramming and I was denying myself sleep and I was stressing over this test that never comes for years. He has one where he talks about trying to find a bathroom. That was that oh. was me. <laughs> <laughs> me. <laughs> he talks about the bathroom. Oh. That's like one of my, when I have to be in real life, I have to be in my dream and the dream is just me looking for a bathroom. Looking for a bathroom for years. Just, for year, yeah, just for the idea years. of a, a terrible feeling. An, a, like he, Basically, it's like, oh, I, sometimes I'm trapped in these dreams and these dreams are nightmares. And I'm trapped in this nightmare for, for six months or something. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it, it, shocking. Shocking. It go from like a day to a week to... It's like where it gets to the point where he doesn't really remember the hospital as much mm-hmm. because more of his subjective time is spent in dreams than it is in the hospital. So he has to remember who he is outside of that dream again once he comes back. It sort of reminds me in a weird sort of way of the inner light, the episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, mm-hmm. where that was always the thing that got me is that Captain Picard is zapped by a probe and lives out the life of the probe's creator for like decades. But when he comes back, does he know how to use the console on the captain's chair again? Right, mm-hmm. right. Does he have to be retrained for years? No, he doesn't. You have to go back into the next episode of Star Trek The Next <laughs> Generation. Because in, in his mind, he's known the people in that dream world longer than he's known Jordy and Worf and Riker. Uh, you know what this uh, reminded me of is there's kind of like that famous Reddit post of the guy who got hit by a car. And then just like, do you guys know about this? It's no. Like, no. Oh, it's really creepy. Like... He ends up, like, passing out and then, like, coming to, and then he lives, like, this entire life. Like, um, he has, like, a wife. He has a child. And he says that he was just sitting in his living room one day. And then he looked over and, like, there's a lamp in the corner and the lamp didn't look quite right. And he was just like, what's going on with this lamp? And he started to freak out. And then he woke up. And, like, he had a lot of, like, mental problems because, like, he... He, like, lived this entire life when he was, like, passed out or something and then had to, like, come back to reality where he was, like, hit by a car. So... To realize your loved ones aren't real? Yeah, exactly. Like, it was just, like, something... Yeah, look at it. I'm sure if you Google it, you'll find it, but... Well, there's also some... some, Because this story is mostly told through the perspective of the two doctors. Mm -hmm. The way that they're describing his circumstances are... Sometimes they're weird, like... Some t- some one of these nights he's been down for hundreds of years, and when he wakes up, his voice sounds is speaking with a different intonation, like he's mm-hmm. like he's been living for two hundred years, speaking his language as it's drifted over time, and he's coming back into a pl- into a place that isn't his time anymore, and that's at uh, uh, it, with a vector to going towards in eternity, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's getting longer and longer, and I think at one point he. There, he, he sleepwalks around the hospital when he's awake a lot of the time, and there's a young girl there who's terrified of death. Mm-hmm. She is utterly terrified, like hysterical about death, like panic attacks about death, screaming about death. Um, they never tell you what disease it is that they're treating her for, but that's not the thing that's bothering her the most. The thing that's bothering her the most is a sense that she's going to die and freaking out about that. Mm-hmm. And then when she sees that dude wandering the halls, it's yeah, like the it. fucking <laughs> spirit of death is walking around because <laughs> he's already devolving into a monster. Yeah. Him catching that glimpse of her is the seed around which what dream forms. And in this dream, he wakes up after, in his mind, a thousand years of being married to her. 
and not knowing where she is and demanding where she is. And she doesn't know who he is, but he's had a thousand years of knowing a fictional version of her inside of his own head. And it seems like that's one of the, that's maybe the only positive dream he ever gets. Everything else sounds like a nightmare. I think there's one of them hiding in the jungle. They never show you those dreams except for like a simple, weird sort of mind breaking image of, of it's almost like a, like a prog rock album cover of insanity. (laughs) You don't know because it is a bit like Russian roulette. Every time he goes to sleep, it's going to be longer. It's like a thousand years, 2000 years, 3000 years. And he's inching towards that eternity. And you don't know what the last chamber is when you hit eternity. What's going to be forever. Is it going to be a hellish nightmare existence or is he going to get to live in some kind of a heaven? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one of the things that so at the end of the story, like there's like these crystals or something, and then yeah. the doctor gives it to his, the girl who's like his, scared to his die. His body like disintegrates into yeah. these weird crystals that they have they can't understand what they are. Yeah, and so he gives it to the girl who's like having problems, who he said was um you know his wife for a while, and I was wondering if. Do you think that they met when they were dreaming like some weird sort of like time lapse sort of thing where they both were like going into this space? And that's why he I, thought that they were married. It's possible. Yeah, it's just true because they're both time travelers in in a certain respect, even though at the point at which in the real time he yeah. died first before she understood. But yeah, they are kind of like weird cosmic time travelers in this. This is like a this is like a. um. Robert E. Howard sort of story thing too, where it's just sort of like, oh, you've, there's just there's something weird that's out there that's that's it, you can project forward in time, um, and your brain kind of just breaks a little when you're just trying to imagine of like, oh, you just can never know, you can mm-hmm. never know when you've added this element of the story. That's why I like it; cause it just makes my brain go on fire. Yeah, the, the vibe I got is that the doctor was the real monster in right. this story. <laughs> yes, because yeah. he administered these crystal things to her, probably injecting them or whatever. Oh yeah, and she didn't know. She didn't know. She didn't ask for it. And I think that was his way of solving it. She's afraid of death. And now he's going to give her an existence where she lives for thousands of years inside of her own head. But how many of those thousands, if not eternal life that he's giving her is going to be a hellish nightmare? Mm -hmm. We don't know that at the end that this patient who disintegrated into crystals, if he ended up somewhere where he's happy, because that's great. It's great if you go to, you know, paradise or whatever at the end. But if you pulled the chamber with the bullet in it, you're going to be like, this, just be, this is the nightmare where you're eaten by dogs forever. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, you know, and it's, you don't know if you're subjecting somebody to hell, if just making somebody's life seem longer, does it make it happier? Right. Yeah. Right. I will say though, um, this was one of the stories I hadn't read before and I thought it was beautiful. This was like the standout for me in this like whole thing. Like it was definitely my favorite. It's really it's it's beautiful but strange but I kind of love the the sense of watching this person he could be ascending to a higher being or he could be disintegrating and you don't really know what it is. Yeah, I think it's just kind of like the idea of just like going to like this plane of like another existence where I'm like you know, like the back rooms and stuff. I'm always like super into that sort of stuff. So I'm just like, "Oh, what's going on over there?" Mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um yeah. Well, I, I love it because it, it opens up possibility, whereas the in most of the Junji Ito stories, it's sort of like, well, you know what's going to happen is that this thing is going to overtake them and they're going to perish because of it, become mm-hmm. it or expire because of it. Yeah. And this one gives it a little more of a trajectory into like the unknown, mm-hmm. which is 
more of a, probably more of a sci-fi concept than I think I've ever read in any of his stories. That's and true, yeah. I do like that about him because he doesn't just go to the same well over and over. Yeah. He goes into a lot of weird places. I mean, you have a story where there's a bunch of scalps attached to your head like a giant snake. There's, oh, yeah, Honored oh. Ancestors. Honored Ancestors. Oh, yeah. I mean, there is some, there's some fucked up shit in this story, and I kind of fucking love it. And that's, that's, that's what I love is it goes into all these different places. Um, but I guess let's... You know, let's let's leave some some in there for people sure. to check this out yeah, for the first I mean, yeah, time. We, we probably shouldn't spoil all nine of them. Right? Yeah, yeah. There's oh, a but lo- what if we do? No. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think everyone who's listening who is you know able to like keep listening after we were discussing Greece, greased uh, should probably go out and and find a copy of it and look at it because there's a even of what we have talked about. There's a lot of just like I said, just the experience of reading it and then f- following up to that image on the page and then looking at that image and being like, well, now it's there forever. <laughs> yeah. Now it's there forever. <laughs> it is. It, it, Junji Ito's stories are like, you're the protagonist in a Junji Ito story, which is, I've seen it and it's too late. It's in my brain now. <laughs> All I can do is is watch this this go where it's going to go. So I guess that leads us to the, the big question you always ask at the end of the story. Is Shiver by Junji Ito worth your time? Definitely. Yeah, uh, um, it's uh, it's definitely a good primer. I would not hand someone Uzumaki because Uzumaki is like so. I mean, I, I would, but if you were to, if I were to say like, oh, I'll take one story, it'll take you five minutes to, to to sit down. I would hand them this book and point to one of the stories and have them do this. It'd be a great primer t- there. It would also be a good way to know whether or not, like Joe, like your mm-hmm. your, your your other Joe, um. If you can, if you describe it, or if they read one and they're like, "I'm not into this," then you'd be like, "Okay, then you're not going to like any of Junji Ito." It'd be a good, good bellwether, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I would also say absolutely yes, and I think it comes with a giant caveat. Mm-hmm. And Joe is an example of this. This is not for everybody, yeah. right? This creator has a very specific sensibility, and that to me is the thing that I love nowadays. Is when you you encounter an artist who has a, spe- a there's a sensibility there's a style there's a tone there's a look that is so specifically them that if you look at their stuff you cannot mistake it for anything else mm-hmm. that it's just so iconic is almost a cliche but it's so utterly them that you can copy it but you know exactly what that copy is copying. Yeah. And like one thing about it, too, I think, is that when you look at it, it's not just the way it's drawn, but the context of what is being drawn. Right. Yeah. That right. really shines as specifically Junji Ito. I think this is a, an amazing sampler for Junji Ito. I think he is furiatingly normal looking. Right. Um, he looks like he's just your brother-in-law. He doesn't look like, um, or your neighbor. Have, and you, I- <laughs> have you guys seen that? There's some, there's like a fan art someone did and it's like a Junji Ito and Miyazaki and it's like Miyazaki's work and it's like all colorful and stuff and then Miyazaki and he's like depressed <laughs> and then it's oh. like Junji Ito works and it's like Junji Ito and he's like happy and oh. like <laughs> having he, a great time. He gets it all out of his system. Junji Ito seems to be a, a super well-adjusted dude who has right, a, right. Who, who manages to find a way to vent all of the stuff in his brain that would drive other people to madness so he doesn't have that haunted look in his eyes that you get with like Edgar Allan Poe and Lovecraft and even Stephen King, where you're like, I don't know what that guy does, but I know he writes scary stories. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I would say absolutely. This this collection is 
it's like when you go to a restaurant and get the the sampler platter of all yeah. the different kinds of of uh, appetizers. This is that for Junji Ito, mm-hmm. and you will get a chance to see all the different ways that his stories go. Um, again, you go everywhere from you know bugs crawling into holes in your body to giant zits to balloon people to dreams that never end, and I I just think it's perfect. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to thank you so much for joining us, Kirby. Yeah. Oh, happy to talk about Junji Ito. So thank you for suggesting it because uh, it's it is it's like having a gun held to your head, and then I have to I have even though they saw the holes in it, and I had to close the book because I saw the holes in the people. Oh wait, what's your what's your history with Junji Ito? Have you only uh, read just, Uthamaki? Just just because of him was the first oh, time. It's okay. all my fault. It was uh, it's all Mike my fault. Mike got recommended it. Mike recommended it to me, and then we did this the show for Uthamaki, which mm-hmm. you can go back and listen to. But yeah, I mean. The more I the more I read of him, the more I'm like, well, I'm obviously just a, a Junji Ito fan forever. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 one that you have to space out. I can read maybe one or two of these a year, and then I got to read something happy for a while. I, I'm going to read some Bone by Jeff Smith <laughs> to, this, to chase this away. Depending on the, of your personality, this may not be good bedtime reading. No, <laughs> you mm. might want to do this during the light of day, especially if you have vivid dreams. <laughs> so. Kirby, thank you so much for joining us in this discussion, and I apologize for any nightmares that come out. (laughs) (laughs) And a very special thank you to our episode sponsors. Thank you to Margaret King, Tim Batson, Dan Neidecker, Zuri Russell, Steel Wolf, Sterling Taylor, Tom the Belgian, Wim the Belgian, Misa the Barbarian, Jem Newman, Carol and Dave Brulette, Calzone, Kaylin, Matt Weber, and Hans Twight. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you. And if you want to become an episode sponsor, please go to patreon.com slash radio versus the Martians or click the big green button on radio versus the Martians.com. Otherwise, we will catch you next month. Radio versus the Martians is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in beautiful Valverde in Seattle, Washington. Our chief engineer is Casey Doran and our editor is Mike Gillis. Our original theme music is written and performed by James Wetzel. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue, Tobias Panshin, Scott Kramer, Kyle Hepworth, and Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Please take the time to rate and review our show on iTunes and Stitcher, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please consider becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. Even just a dollar a month gives you access to exclusive episodes. And you can always find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com. あの日記を読んだ日あの少女が指さしたところにあった
呪いなんてあるもんかと思った翡翠は貴重な石なんだ俺はこの石に見せられてしまったしかし呪いはあった体に穴が開き始めたんだそしてあいつが現れた呪いの使者だ翡翠のあるところに現れるんだああ来たやつが来たうっうっ